Hello, and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's science headlines. People just like you working to understand viruses and how they affect you. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we are talking with faculty involved in coronavirus and COVID-19 related research so that you can understand who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackeray, and I'm hosting this podcast from America's heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. Today, August 13th, 2020, we have with us Dr. Sebla Kutloy, Assistant Professor in the Department of Molecular Microbiology at Washington University School of Medicine. Sebla obtained her PhD in cell and molecular biology from Michigan State University, working on herpes viruses, and did postdoctoral training in retroviruses at Rockefeller University in New York City. In her lab at WashU, she has been examining the interactions between the HIV-1 integrase protein and RNA. Hi, Sebla. Happy to have you with us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you become interested in virology research? You know, I was born and raised in Turkey, and I went to college there in Istanbul. And one of the things that I did as an undergrad was virology research. And back then, we were working on plant viruses. Um, so that, of course, you know, triggered this interest. And then in grad school at Michigan State University, I decided to work on herpes viruses, um, more of the human viruses. And then after that, I got into Paul B. Nash's lab. I worked with Paul B. Nash at Rockefeller University um, on HIV. And that study, that research area continues until today. So it was really this, you know, undergrad research that piqued my interest. Was anyone in your family a scientist? Yeah, nobody in my family is a scientist. Uh, my mom didn't even go to college. But yeah, I always kind of wanted to be a doctor. I was interested always in biology, even when I was a little kid. Um, and then, you know, I was always the hardworking type. And, you know, a number of events led to this career path, basically some luck, some hard work. Can you tell us what steps you took to get where you are in your career today? Right. So as I said, when I was an undergrad, um, I started doing plant biology, plant virology research. And then through my undergrad mentors connections, I did an internship at UC Berkeley, again, working on plant pathogens. And it was this, you know, huge difference, obviously, between what happens in Turkey and then at a top plant biology center in the U.S., um, and that really established some connections with numerous groups at U.S. And my grad school mentor uh, was good friends with this person at UC Berkeley. <laughs> so I ended up there and the lab was interested in both plant biology, transcriptional biology and herpes virology. So that was fantastic because I could choose, pick and choose whatever I wanted to work on. Um, those were really the heydays of chromatin biology, transcriptional regulation. So I started working on herpes virology, transcription biology at the same time. And I was exposed to different aspects of plant virology as well. Um, so that was my undergrad, no, that was my grad school training. Then um, I moved to Rockefeller Air and Diamond Research Institute to do my postdoc with Paul B. Nash. How did you find your postdoctoral position? How did I get there? Yeah, so, you know, end of grad school, you start applying to your postdoc positions. And what I, I mean, it was really not just I was randomly applying to virology labs. 
I selected a few who were really doing cool research. And at the time for HIV, it was the identification of um, these factors that exist in human versus non-human primates. These are species-specific restriction factors that determine the host range of viruses. And Paul's lab was one of the top labs studying this process, which was actually really similar to what I studied as an undergrad in plant virology as well. You know, you got the virus antagonizing host responses, host trying to attack the virus, and the same thing was true for HIV. Um, and so that was, you know, that was what I wanted to work on. And I applied to numerous labs that was studying that process in different viruses. Um, and yeah, I worked with Paul Vinash, and here I am. <laughs> Can you describe in a little more detail the work that you were doing to look at RNA and integrase interactions? Right, so that was one of the most interesting things that I, that we discovered together with Mamuka Kvaratskhelia back then at Ohio State University. Um, is, you know, we developed, when I was a postdoctoral fellow, we developed this fairly cool method, I think, uh, which identifies A, whether a protein is an RNA binding protein, and B, what are the precise targets of those proteins in physiologically relevant conditions. And so here we had this problem uh, with HIV-1 integrase. And we know, many, many of us know that integrase mediates the viral integration into host cell chromosome. That's, you know, that's what retroviruses do. But it's been known for a long time that integrase had a completely separate role in particle morphogenesis. And nobody knew what that role was, what was the molecular basis of that role. So then, you know, we came in with this cool method. We collaborated with Momoka Kovarskelia to discover that in addition to binding to DNA and mediating its integration into host cell chromosome, um, integrase also binds to viral genome and ensures the proper assembly of HIV particles. And if it doesn't, those particles are completely non-infectious. So, you know, you got this situation where you have this one protein that's both an RNA binding protein and a DNA binding protein, and essential at two different steps of virus replication. Um, we are doing other types of research, trying to better identify host virus interactions, host responses to HIV, trying to identify the genome packaging process of HIV. Um, how does it package two genomes specifically? Why not four? Why not five? What are the molecular determinants of this process? Can you describe what your lab is like? For example, how many people are there? Yeah, so right now I have four graduate students. One of them is graduating very soon. So I'm really happy about that, but also stressed out. Um, <laughs> and I have a postdoctoral fellow, um, an undergrad researcher, and two lab technicians. So that's the size of the lab. I think it's, it's a pretty good size. I kind of like it because it's intellectually stimulating and the lab has grown a lot compared to the first day I started. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. They are teaching each other. So that's, it's been really fun. For you, what was the most exciting eureka moment in your career so far? Well, there's been a lot of experimental breakthroughs, you know, something that doesn't work for even years. And then like you kind of have the sense that you are getting close to it each time you do an experiment and each time you improve on it. And then all of a sudden it works. There's been multiple experimental breakthroughs, I must say. Um, I think, you know, thus far, 
conceptually, I really am excited about the integrase finding, you know, integrase being a protein that also regulates particle maturation. Um, from a basic science standpoint, it's a really exciting discovery. Conversely, what is the most difficult thing you've had to overcome in your career, and how did you overcome it? Each stage had its own difficulty. Grad student, it was a new country. You learn how to be organized as a scientist, right? You are just adjusting to this new lifestyle, which is not just you study for an exam and pass. Uh, but it wasn't too bad. Postdoc, you had to work hard. You had to generate large amount of work that's publishable. And then, of course, there is the stress of what you are going to be doing next. Um, so that's also stressful. But by far, as far as my career is concerned, by far the most difficult part has been um, setting up the lab while trying to raise a little kid has been the most challenging part career-wise. What were your strategies for overcoming that? That is a double whammy that a lot of women scientists face. Just as they're launching their career, they are launching their new family. How have you tackled that? Right. So just keep going. Um, <laughs> it's hard, but you just do your best and try to get a lot of help um, from others, from family, if you can, which we did not have the luxury of. Um, and also a lot of support from mentors, you know, just ask for help, ask people to read your grants, papers, um, so on and so forth, and just keep going, you know, work hard. Do you think there is increased understanding and support for young women investigators to facilitate their success, as well as concrete steps taken to address issues that may arise? I mean, you know, some places, yes. Um, I think the number one Criteria number one thing that every university should do is make sure that, and this is true for men too, at their early stages of their career, make sure that childcare is accessible and available. And childcare in the vicinity of the university is really, really important, I think. Um, some places take better measures depending on the size of the university, obviously. Um, but I think that's the number one thing that all universities should seriously consider. If you had a chance to ask your older self one question, um, what would it be? Hopefully nothing about science. <laughs> At that time, I'm envisioning a beach life someplace. <laughs> but I guess one of the things that I would ask is, you know, this career, it's fantastic. It's really exciting. But there's also a lot of sacrifice right? I mean, because the job never ends. You go home, you just read more papers or write papers, write grants. So there's been a lot of sacrifice. The question I'd ask is, do you really think it was worth it? And I hope the answer is going to be yes. To follow up on that, what steps would you take to make sure that the answer is yes? Right, it's really just finding a balance that you are happy with. Um, I don't think I would happy if my son was unhappy when I'm 70 years old. So making sure that I spend time with him, you know, uh, play with him and also taking care of myself. I mean, yes, there is a pandemic situation, but we are all social beings. So, you know, meet with friends, chat with friends. And it actually COVID has been good for that. I've been reaching out to a lot more friends and we've been chatting a lot more with my friends from Turkey or my family. Uh, so really trying to strike a balance as, as best as I can 
but you know, sometimes it's hard. So moving on, how did you start working on COVID-19 related research? And can you describe the type of research you are doing? Right, so obviously in February, March, it was obvious that things were getting a lot worse. And we kind of entertained the idea, but as a fairly small lab, um, getting into COVID, it's a huge task, right? I mean, how do you even make the connections with people to get the virus? What cells do you grow the virus? So there are also a lot of technical difficulties. And so having leaders at WashU, like Mike Diamond and Sean Villan, um, they have been really instrumental for us to transition into this work in terms of not only just reagent support, but also knowledge. Um, you know, where do I get this? How do I work with this? Do you think it's a good career move? And so after I discussed it with them, then I said, okay, we can do this. Um, but I did not decide it all by myself. I asked my lab if they would be interested in such a thing and what would be the scientific questions that we would be interested in. Um, and so we decided all together whether this was a good thing to get into. Now it's challenging because you know students were not allowed on campus for a while unless they worked on COVID. Uh, me and my postdoc, we are trying to balance family responsibilities while trying to you know, do research. So it's, it's been tough, but we made this decision all together we are in it all together. So that's why we got into it. And the other thing is, you know, we thought that we would have a different angle to some of the questions um, or some of the research questions. You know, my lab does a lot of sequencing-based um, studies, so we thought we could apply some of these to COVID research and learn something new about this virus. So in that regard, um, we are trying to develop better models to study COVID, SARS infection, we identified, this is going to be interesting, we are trying to identify a good cell line, a good model cell line to study coronavirus. Applying some of our HIV knowledge to SARS research is another one. And trying to identify virus-host interactions a little bit better, just, you know, the general outline um, of the research we are doing. On a personal note, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected you as an individual? A lot of things are different, you know. Um, it's, it's been a little difficult to find a, let's say a routine because it's very, very challenging and I'm going back to it all the time and I know that a lot of people have similar types of problems. Um, routine for my kid, routine for work, routine for balancing my and my spouse's schedules. Um, so that's been a little bit challenging, but every day we are grateful that we are happy and healthy. You know, we are, kind of have these cushiony jobs <laughs> in a way. I mean, we work hard still, but we are able to work. Um, so, you know, that's, that's been reasonably manageable. But also, as I said, keeping your mental health, you know, maintaining, a, uh, maintaining your relationships with your friends and colleagues and your family. So that's, that's what I have been working on, calling more friends and family members every day, um, making sure that they're okay. You talk about finding balance and managing stress. Is there any particular things that you do to do that? Me meeting with friends outside. I think that's been the best thing. Um, and I think, you know, that's, especially at our stage, um, even before COVID, that's been the one thing that I really enjoy doing, just meeting with friends and then just, you know, 
talk about your problems while having a beer. <laughs> so that's the sort of thing that really helps me keep a good balance and just, you know, unplug, turn off the computer, turn off the cell phone and just enjoy um, being at home. <laughs> so as a virologist, how do you make decisions about how to keep yourself, your family, your coworkers and your community safe? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, I just tell everyone every day almost to be very cautious because it doesn't hurt. Um, I also encourage, even though I don't tell people, I cannot, you know, mandate it. I encourage people to walk to work, you know, um, wear masks, obviously, or bike to work. I mean, it's really the number one priority. And also, as I said, mental health is another component of it. If the work is overwhelming, if it's difficult to strike a balance, um, you know, then take the time to yourself and forget about work for a little bit because it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, SARS work is obviously very competitive in a way. Um, we are trying to push things forward, but also, you know, keeping a good mental health is really, really important in the lab, I think. Do you still have family back in Turkey that you talk to about this? What is it like there? The situation there was a lot better than the situation here. But then, of course, you know, with the summer vacations, people having a good time, it's now a little bit worse. Um, so it's this, you know, constant battle, obviously. I tell them to wear masks all the time. You know, they do sometimes. And for them, it's the same deal. My mom is quite old. And she says that she gets bored if she doesn't go out. So <laughs> she has to go to the bazaar and go shopping <laughs> once a week. Um, I just tell them to be safe too. I don't know if they listen. What is their perception of what it's like here? Yeah, they are scared. Um, because what they hear is obviously not very good. And I constantly tell them, St. Louis, it's not too bad. You know, this is what we are doing. We are wearing our masks. So that, I think, gives them some comfort. Um, but of course, they are very much worried. So we're just wrapping up. Any last messages for our listeners? Um, maybe any thoughts about the future of the COVID-19 pandemic? Where do you see us going in the next couple of months? I'm hoping for the best. And I really think and hope that um, there's going to be a vaccine at some level of efficacy um, so that we can slowly get back to normal I'm hoping within a year, um, that's, you know, till then, be healthy, stay healthy and happy as much as you can. Nothing else we can do. All right. Thanks so much, Sebla. Nice talking to you. Sebla hopes that her previous experience using sequence-based approaches and studying virus-host interactions will allow her and her lab to learn something new about SARS-CoV-2. This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google and Apple Podcasts or at lmtv.podbean.com. If you are a virologist interested in sharing who you are and what you do, please contact us at letusmeetthevirologists at gmail.com. 